Get your faith on, turn to people to your left, your right, in front of you, behind you, and, uh, and let's say a, a great a faith-filled thing to one another. Let's say, don't believe it. Go ahead. Don't believe it. Don't you dare believe it. And the reason we're saying that this morning is because it often takes a lot of courage to stand against lies. Sometimes that can be uh, as faith-filled as standing for truth. Uh, as it turns out. So not believing something I think is a vital skill uh, for those of us who want to seek after truth uh, in this world. Let me ask you a warm-up question to make sure your brain juices are flowing. Uh, what, what, what big lies are coming at you recently? Have you noticed any big lies coming at you recently? The stuff that you think are lies anyway. So... Uh, the government is saying, I'm here to help, and you're not buying it. You're not buying it. Yeah? Yep. Uh, good one. What else? Doesn't have to be political. What else? He's never going to change. Yeah. My wife hears that lie. Uh, he's never going to change. Or he's never going to change. She's never going to change. This situation is never going to change uh, because, um, uh, you know, the enemy wants us to be hopeless, for sure. What other big lies are coming at you recently? Oh, Vern? It's too late. Why bother? It's too late. Why bother? I think people, uh, people think that often on Sunday when they wake up about 8.45 a.m., <laughs> Right? You guys push through. <laughs> Excellent. Way to go. John, what do you got? People without kids can do it. <laughs> people, people without kids can do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Say no. <laughs> Derek has a second. Of this. I have a corollary, which is people without kids should do it. <laughs> people without kids should do it. It feels, it feels really true. That might be one of those useful pieces of propaganda that we want to spread <laughs> in the church. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, Robin, you got one? It's better to not have kids. It's better to not have kids. <laughs> true? Not true? We're getting into very speculative areas now. It's like this exercise uh, may have run its course uh, already. Lots of lies coming at you. And learning, learning to discern truth from learning to stand against lies and to reject them uh, is, is probably as important as learning to recognize truth in this world because um, the world lies to us habitually, right? I said last week, the world is a cult. The world is a big, fat liar. And, uh, and I just believe that. I stand on that. And one of the reasons I believe in and stand on it is because, like, the Bible says it from beginning to end, you know, in every, every culture across every age uh, that we have recorded, uh, the people of God um, have been lied about and lied to, and it's just, it's just a useful uh, life skill, particularly if you are in that seeking phase and, and you want to go after truth, you have to realize that the world uh, is not particularly interested in uh, giving you truth, it's a little more interested in controlling you. Uh, this week in our small groups, a lot of us looked at this passage from uh, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, 1 John is an epistle. An epistle 
is uh, a circulatory letter. It was circulated among uh, the very first Christian churches in the world back in the day, written by uh, apostles, written by people who had direct experience with Jesus when he walked on the earth. They were given reliable advice, stuff that had been passed down from Jesus to them. And they're trying to teach uh, Jesus followers what came to be called Christians or little Christs, trying to teach Jesus followers how to walk on planet Earth with freedom and power and, and fruitfulness and stuff like that. Uh, so the author of a letter from, from John, First John, says, We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And that Greek word means uh, for sin. Anyone born of God does not continue to do harm, does not continue to do lie, does not continue to destroy. The one who was born of God keeps him safe. The one who was born of God being Jesus. So if you have uh, a dedication to Jesus, you're kept safe from this sin and this harm, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Um, There are lots of statements like that. Jesus makes them, and they're all through the epistles. It's just a provocative, blatant statement. We know that we're children of God, all right? So we're of a godly family. We're sort of devoted to God. He's devoted to us. But we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. How much of the world? The whole world, except that which, you know, is devoted to God, obviously. Um, uh, The King James, I think, renders it something like, um, the whole world is controlled by the lies of the evil one. That's the way the the Greek renders. There's a falsehood about it. The whole world is under control, the falseness of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. Uh, That can be translated, we are of him, or we are for him who is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. So many passages like this is just just juxtaposition of of truth and falsehood, and there's this implication here in this passage that that the the evil one, whom Jesus calls the father of lies, by the way, controls the world, agitates the world, and in accordance with that, the world tries to control us by, well, by falsehoods, deceptions, lack of understanding. This way it puts it. The world is not interested in giving you truth. The world is interested in control, as it says. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. And that's really the opposition in which most of us live. It's not truth versus lies. It's truth versus control, right? And to shake off control... That's how you find truth. If you want to find truth, you have to be willing to not be controlled or to not give in to pressure, to not give in to stress and stuff like that. That's usually the path to truth. It's not just being able to determine what's false. It's being able to determine where you're being pressured and lied to. And that's a little different. And so it's worth us knowing that the whole world is lying to us. Do you think that's true? Or do you think it's an overstatement? The whole world is lying to you. It's 
kind of one of the favorite techniques of the world, is to lie to control people. Do you think that's true? Has that been your experience? So I've thought about this a lot in the course of my life, which has been longer than most of your lives at this point, but I've thought about it a whole heck of a lot over the past few years because it's not just that there were lots of controversies and lies and truths in circulation, but that there was a lot of pressure, right? Where we were allowed to believe certain things but not allowed to believe other things. If we believed the wrong thing, we were canceled, we were outlawed. There's just all sorts of new pressures and, and um, um, uh, censorship. And, you know, all those things became alive for us, at least in this country, um, uh, in, a new, in a new way. Uh, we're in this sermon series uh, that I have called Slickly. Uh, there is a God and his ways are smart. Um, just to be blunt uh, about it. And uh, in this uh, sermon series, we're going to talk about reasons to not disbelieve. I'm going to talk about those today. And then we're going to talk about reasons to believe that there is a God and his ways are smart. Uh, then we're going to take a look at some of the big moral questions of the day and... and um, uh, we're going to discuss how godly answers are actually the best answers, the most reasonable and healthy answers to these questions. Uh, last week we talked about how apparently God has gone out of his way to make this thing that we call Christianity mockable. Right? He wants it to be mocked. Right? And we talked about why that is and how it works exactly so that um, to uh, really embrace it and to follow it, you actually have to be humble. Uh, and humility is a great inoculation against, well, arrogance. And arrogance is what causes wickedness in the world. And so he's arranged it such that the foolish things shame the wise and the weak things shame the strong. It's this upside-down kingdom that Christians talk about a lot. You know, we're not supposed to look all that impressive. We're just supposed to be impressive. <laughs> and it's a little bit uh, different. So Christianity is designed to be mockable, and the world mocks it. Um, and, uh, and again, the world uh, does not reason, does not out-reason Christians. The world just mocks Christians, right? The spirit of the world is not to reason well. The spirit of the world is to accuse and to mock. Uh, and that's what we need to be able to stand up against. And today we're going to talk about um, how the world lies constantly. Um, and... Uh, I don't know, have, have you been upset about just sort of the social environment over the last few years? Uh, I really have, and you know, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a geek, I'm kind of a nerd, uh, and I remember when the COVID pandemic first started, one of the ways I tried to serve the church and kind of serve the world is to read all of the scientific literature and to kind of keep people abreast, and my idea was like, you know, never panic, never fear. We are people of faith, and you know, knowledge really helps. And I kind of trusted what we were getting was good knowledge, and I tried to be a shepherd of that. And then I got really depressed about it. <laughs> um, uh, the dust has settled a little bit after this terrible pandemic that caused so much of us to suffer, and, and so many of us lost, lost loved ones, and so many of us lost health. And somewhere uh, over the past few years, somewhere around 6.8 million people died of the COVID pandemic. 6.8 million people uh, that would not have died otherwise. Have you heard of this concept of excess deaths? 
excess deaths. So every year, statistically, uh, so, so many people die. There's a percentage of the population that dies every year, and we know what that is globally. We know what it is per country. Uh, we even know what it is per state. And then in a given year, um, if more people than that die, more people than normally die, we call that excess deaths. And right now in the United States, uh, in 2023, which is sort of post-epidemic, 7 to 8% more people are dying than should. Are you following me? Uh, there have been 6.8 million deaths from COVID around the, around the globe. There has been somewhere in the order of 18.5 million excess deaths for reasons that are not immediately obvious. But what it suggests to you is that what we did to manage the COVID pandemic killed more people than the COVID pandemic. You understand? Are you following me? And that just breaks my heart, right? That just, I just find that devastating because 18.5 million people or so, that's a lot of people, right? That's like deaths from World War I amount of people. Um, and, and, I, and I feel like we should be wrestling with this really humbly. You know, it's like, dang, what did we do? You know, I mean, it's bad enough that 6.8 million people died of COVID, but more than twice that number of people died. From, and, and we assume, well, one would assume, probably because of stuff that we did to prevent COVID, you know, like the shutdown. Well, that drove up all sorts of, you know, depression and suicidality and alcoholism and drug abuse. Uh, heart disease went up, cancers went up, like everything got worse. Um, and you might say, well, you know, if we didn't do the shutdown and we didn't do the vaccination program and all that, maybe more than 6.8 million people would have died from COVID. But it turns out that the countries, at least European countries, who were least aggressive in shutdown and vaccination program actually had the lowest death rates, right? Um, and um, so if you're interested in this, like I read all the papers and stuff like that, I can give you citations and whatnot. Not everybody's as geeky as I am, and I fully appreciate that. Um, I'll give you my favorite websites and stuff if you want. So it just sort of testifies to me that, you know, fear kills, you know, not just viruses, but actually fear, you know, kills people. And that maybe we weren't so wise about the stuff that we did. But it's not just that that really gets me, right? What gets me is that I think we let our fear and maybe our arrogance get carried in the way the, in the manner that we address the COVID pandemic. But also, the spirit of it was, shut up, I know better, do what I say, or we'll ostracize you, right? There was a great deal of cantankerous argument and just social devastation spiritual devastation. Like, I, we fumbled it so badly. I think it should be the headline in every paper every day. Um, because that's a lot of deaths. But we're not even allowed to really talk about it now. And some of you are probably really uncomfortable that I'm talking about the stats this morning. Am I right? Because you've been trained that it's a dangerous thing to address. Uh, you've been trained really hard. Do you guys uh, hear about the Pfizer documents? If I haven't like made you uncomfortable yet, 
Over the next two minutes, I'll make you really, really uncomfortable. God help us, you know. Well, so Pfizer is, a, is the biggest maker of this, of this COVID vaccine. And, uh, yeah, some of, some, of, some of you know these documents. Uh, and they did, a, you know, they developed the vaccine in really short order. It's an experimental vaccine based on something called messenger RNA, which is this new technology. It's actually, you know, it was a cool idea anyway. Um, and, uh, and then, they, you know, because of the crisis, we rushed the vaccine to market and stuff like that. And then, so, and then people started saying, well, can we see your research, please? You know, because we want to know that this works. And Pfizer said, no, no, you cannot. Eventually, uh, all of their research documents were released due to a court order. Right? They had to get sued uh, to release the documents. And then they started releasing tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of pages of documents. And, um, and this volunteer group of scientists and journalists and, and project managers and stuff, they got together, like 2,500 of them, to go through all of these documents. Here are some of the things that the documents make clear. Within a month of rollout of the vaccine, Pfizer knew that the vaccine did not stop the spread of the virus within 30 days. Uh, there was some argument later that it might uh, reduce the severity of your symptoms if you caught the virus. Uh, but Pfizer's own information showed that it did not slow the spread of the virus. They called it vaccine failure and failure of efficacy uh, in, their, in their documents. Uh, and the third most common side effect of the COVID vaccine was you got COVID. Um, um, so, so, like, you know, maybe it did some good, I mean, because let's be honest about that, but it had all of these, it was not as promised. I remember the first study I read uh, promised me that it was 93% effective in stopping the spread of the virus. That turned out to be an utter fabrication and Pfizer has been caught in the lie. Um, Pfizer and the FDA, because all of these documents were shared uh, with, the, with the FDA. Um, there were so many adverse effects that the Pfizer Corporation had to hire 2,400 2, additional staffers just to deal with the paperwork. Uh, but uh, information on those effects, uh, the adverse effects were not, were not made public. By May of 1921, they knew that the vaccine uh, fairly regularly caused heart damage in young, healthy uh, recipients. Swiss studies show that 5.1% of young, healthy people who get the COVID vaccine from Pfizer experience uh, heart stress, and 3% uh, experience myocarditis, which is an inflammation, long-term inflammation of the heart. Um, the mRNA, uh, this is a, mRNA is like, consider it like a piece of DNA, uh, this is a vaccine based on RNA. It's the first one. So this is a new technology. Instead of injecting you with a little bit of the virus uh, to increase your antibodies, they inject you with what is essentially a piece of DNA that then goes into your own cells and produces the spike protein, which is not the virus, but only a piece of the virus, which is kind of cool. Um, and then your body reacts to that spike protein by creating a lot of antibodies. And so it's sort of a, theoretically, a safer way uh, to do it because they're not actually injecting you with the virus. And we were told from the beginning that uh, they injected this messenger RNA, it's called, into your arm or something, and then the, the messenger RNA would not go beyond the injection site. Uh, it turned out that Pfizer almost immediately knew that that wasn't true. They might have known it was true before, uh, 
the vaccine program, it doesn't just go here, it goes throughout your system. Uh, so it gets into, the most recent studies show that it gets into baby's breast milk. Um, um, it gets into women's ovaries. Uh, this has been known for a long time. 50% of the women who get the vac Pfizer vaccine have menstrual interruptions and irregularities because the messenger gets RNA gets into your ovaries and starts producing. Actually, there's no known mechanism uh, by which we know the body would clear that spike protein. It might be in us permanently forever. And it drives your immune system to fight it constantly which might be one of the reasons, and this is just all theoretical because nobody has the cojones to actually research it. Um, <clears throat> it might be responsible for some of those long COVID things that, that we're hearing about uh, because one of the places the RMA, RNA goes, mRNA goes, is into brain, the brain, into your heart, into your lungs, your liver, your spleen, your pancreas, your ovaries. And the more vaccines you get, the more boosters you get, the more load you carry in those places, the more your own cells are producing the spike protein, which again is not the virus, but your body thinks it is. And so your immune system is constantly in hyper mode. And that's why so many of us have gotten long-term long sick and might be, um, it might explain some of the excess deaths, uh, at least actually studies show that excess deaths among the vaccinated population are about three times the rate as that among the, vac the did I say that right? Excess deaths among the vaccinated population might be three times as high as excess deaths among the unvaccinated uh, population. So those are all scary things, right? Uh, and I could go on about that because I've been deeply concerned about this from the beginning and have read all the scientific studies that I get. Mostly these studies, uh, it's hard to publish a study on this, but you can read the raw government data if you want, if you're a geek. Why am I going through all of this this morning? Because I want you to be really upset uh, with the government like Albert is. Should I say this, Albert? Can I get an amen? Albert's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. That, that works for me. The reason I'm going through it all, well, one, it just breaks my heart. Um, and, you know, and, and there's more data to be collected and studies to be done. So, like, you know, don't take anything I say as absolute gospel or anything like that. But it's clear that we were just lied to, right? That the facts were known and actively suppressed in order that uh, controls be instituted. Now, maybe the people instituting those controls actually thought they were doing good, but what they didn't do was truth. Um, and then this, I'm talking about this, because this affected all of our lives. It's one thing that we have shared over the past three years. And, you know, I just think about it with respect to what I know about the way the world works and what I know about history and stuff like that. That's my PhD was in, you know, political science and social movements and whatnot. I'm not surprised. I mean, I'm heartbroken, right? But I'm not, I'm not surprised. I think normally this is how it goes, particularly in times of stress. The world just, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't take safe harbor in truth, right? Only Christians do that. And, um, and this has just been reified, like I'm more convinced of this than I ever have been uh, before. The world, you are not allowed to know things in life. 
right? There are forces in the world that don't allow you to know things. All right. And this affects how you think about Christianity, which is what I really want to talk about. This affects how the world thinks about Christianity. Because if there's one thing in the world lies about, it's not virus politics, which is only a recent thing, right? If there's one thing the world really, really lies about, it's Jesus. And that's what the first John passage was about. The world lies to you about God and the truth about God and, um, and faith more than anything else. I've used this analogy before, but I think it's been some years. Imagine that you're a new teacher, and you're going to your new school. Uh, you're entering mid-year, and you're taking over somebody's classroom. So all the students are already in the classroom. They know each other, but they don't know you. All right? So you show up that first day, and you say, oh, hello, class. You know, my name is Mr. Sang, or insert your name here. Um, uh, let's go around the room and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Kimo. Hi, my name is Sally. You know, everybody goes around and introduces themselves and shares a little bit about themselves so that you get to know your new classroom. But you notice there's one kid absent. And so you say, oh, uh, I noticed that, you know, Johnny is absent. Somebody tell me about him. And then the class goes off. Uh, and one kid says about Johnny, oh, Johnny's he's a, he's a stick figure, man. He's a skeleton. He's hideously thin. And then another kid raises her hand and says, yeah, plus he's a fat slob. Well, that's curious. Uh, go on, tell me more. And one kid raises his hand and says, um, uh, he's really tall. When he sits up front, I can't see over him. He's incredibly rude. And then another person raises her hand and says, and he's got the most stupid, stumpy little legs. Okay, well, that's kind of interested. Uh, one kid said, who's he trying to impress wearing all of those fancy threads, all the designer clothes? He thinks he's better than the rest of us. And then somebody else says, plus, his clothes are ragged and they stink all the time. Um, somebody says, he never says anything. He just stares at you. Scary. And another person says, plus he's the teacher's pet. He never shuts up in class and he answers all the questions. Okay, by the time you get through that conversation, what are you going to think about little Johnny? You're going to suspect that it's not little Johnny who's messed up. It's the class. Right? Because they are saying a lot of critical things about Johnny, but the things they are saying are contradictory with one another. And so you're going to begin to conclude that it's actually the culture of the class that's sick, and that you can't trust anything they say about Johnny. You're just going to have to wait to meet Johnny yourself. So that's my analogy for how the world works with respect to God and Christianity. There are all sorts of common accusations against Christianity that the world's that the world makes, but they're all so contradictory that a thinking person might just conclude that it's the world culture that's sick and not Jesus and Christianity. Do you follow me? So just a few examples of how this works. You may have heard, Christianity is just a comforting fairy tale for people afraid of struggle and death. Have you heard that? It's just a fairy tale uh, for people who are afraid of death and such. That's over here. Also, 
The problem with Christianity is that it terrorizes people with threats of an eternal hell. Now hold on a minute, right? Because how could both be true? Right? Uh, maybe you've heard, religion is just a product of society's need for moral regulation, for a peacekeeper. It's a, it's a product of, of social evolution. It's just the way that society um, uh, ensures that people will try to get along together. That was a, a theory of a, a rather successful uh, uh, writing from this guy, Jared Diamond, this New York Times bestselling author, The World Until Yesterday, that religion is just a product of, of social evolution. It's the way to help people to get along together. Have you heard that before? Some people said, therefore, you know, it's just... It's just a product of social evolution. On the other hand, religion causes war. Have you heard that? Religion's cause so how could both be true? Right? It's the way that we get along together and create healthy society, and it's the way that we destroy society. Uh, how could both be true? Those things are operative. Maybe you've heard religion is just biology. There's a God gene, right? There's a God gene. We're sort of evolutionarily programmed in our DNA uh, towards spirituality, because you know, if you think there's a God out there, some sort of judge, then you're more likely to be self-disciplined. So it's a genetic advantage, right? You're hardwired for it. Uh, on the other hand, you know, these days we hear that if you want to be mentally healthy, you just have to get rid of all that God oppression. You just got to be you. You just got to throw off your inhibition and stuff like that, right? So how could both be true? Uh, those are opposite uh, criticisms. You might hear that, you know, 100 million years of evolution has shown us that we need spirituality to be mentally healthy as human beings. Uh, so the healthiest thing you can do is throw off the yoke of religion. Don't repress, man. Don't repress. How could both be true? Right? The problem with, with, with Christianity is that it stifles your free choice. It just tries to control you, Right? I mean, religion is tyrannical, am I right? We hear that a lot uh, today. Uh, Christianity just dictates what you should do, and that's just so oppressive. Uh, on the other hand, the problem with God is that he doesn't intervene against people. He lets evil people do whatever they want to do. So which is it? Does God let people do whatever they want to do, or does he unfairly dictate how people should behave? You get it? These are sort of opposite criticisms. All religions are, are the same. There's no real difference, right? You've heard that before, probably. And maybe you've also heard that the problem with Christianity is that it insists on believing these unique, unjustifiable things. Like, you know, it doesn't recognize these alternative sexual mores that exist elsewhere in the world and other belief systems. So is all religion the same? Or is Christianity just narrow-minded? Which is it? So you have been lied to from contradictory directions your whole life. And I don't, I don't, I remember, you know, like when I was just starting college, I remember standing up and being like, I don't think Christianity is the problem, right? Like, you guys argue with each other if you want to. Um, but I'm quite satisfied with the, intellectual integrity of, of my belief system. Are you following? That's how the world culture lies to you. It lies to you from all directions. The classroom itself is toxic. 
and it's just worth us recognizing that, particularly if you're seeking uh, after uh, Jesus. Um, You've heard uh, these lies your whole life. Uh, and, And I just want to inoculate you against the false culture of the world. It is lying to you. It is lying to you. There's this famous statement by uh, Hitler's minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, um, who said, um, if you make the lie big enough and repeat it often enough, people will eventually come to believe it. And so that was the strategy. You tell a big lie, which is to say a bold lie, and then you just repeat it over and over and over again. Psychologists have studied this, and they, they know it to be true. They call it the truth illusion, is that if something is just repeated in front of somebody enough times, they will come to believe it more often than not, unless they're inoculated with a suspicion. Right? And the world is just repeating stupid things to you all the time. Stupid things that have no basis in reality. And you may be tempted to succumb just because everybody's saying it. But you should know better than that. Because you know Jesus. And because you've been told, we've been told over the past 2,000 years to be wise to this game, to be wise to this falsehood. You guys know the comedian George Carlin? He was like super irreverent. He was kind of like the the first social commentary cynic comedian. Uh, George Carlin uh, describes uh, the Christian faith this way. God has ten things he doesn't want you to do. Ten commandments. And if you do one of these things, he has a special place full of fire and smoke and burning and torture and anguish where he will send you to live and suffer and burn and choke and scream and cry forever and ever until the end of, the end of time. But he loves you and he needs your money. Yeah, I've watched that comedy concert uh, before and everybody laughs and applauds and raves. Why? Because, well, it's funny, you know, and, and really all the sensible people think that. But there's nothing at all to that character characterization of, of Christianity. He adopts a definition of Christianity based on a completely bogus picture of, of judgment, right? There's no grace at all in the way that he tells it, and a picture of hell that is entirely not biblical. You know, the Bible doesn't actually describe a hell. I, I, actually, the word hell doesn't even appear in Scripture. Uh, that was put in much later by European Bible translators who borrowed the concept of hell from Norse mythology because more people were familiar with Norse mythology than with Christianity. So they borrowed a concept of a place you go in the afterlife. This is the biblical view from Revelations 20. Uh, talking about the afterlife. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades uh, gave up the dead that were in them. And each person, Hades being, uh, didn't, it was, was a, a Greek term. It was the word for Greek afterlife. Uh, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. The lake of fire is the second death. 
Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. In other words, like you're resurrected, you're judged, and then if it doesn't go well for you, there's a second death. Not, you know, eternal torture and screaming and crying and pain and anguish forever so that God can get his jollies and torturing sinful people. That's not in the Bible, right? That's not in the Bible. The Bible says, look, if you're a dangerous, out-of-control person, God will euthanize you in the end so that you don't harm the other people that get into eternity. At a certain point, you know, God has to put down the rabid dogs. I'm being very simplistic and facetious in the way I describe it, but that's more in keeping uh, with the Bible than what George Carlin said. And then um, I think it was Andy actually quoted a little bit from Matthew 25 during his announcement that what we get judged on is love and trust and the commandments that God gives us just to keep us safe and out of trouble. You know, are you a loving person who trusts God or are you an unloving person who doesn't trust God and promotes the lies of the world? Anyway, I digress a little bit. This whole idea about Christianity causing unnecessary wars, I actually studied that. Um, I was, um, my PhD was in international relations and I was actually a strategic policy analyst. There's this... Uh, database called the Correlates of War, Correlates of War Project, in which they basically put in information from every war they can find in recorded history. Uh, Sam Harris, who's one of the more famous atheists, uh, defenders of atheism in the world, says that generally wars have their roots in religion, that more often than not, uh, wars are caused by religion. But I looked at the data because I'm a geek. There are 1,763 wars recorded only 123 of them, or about less than 7%, have any religious component whatsoever. And half of those are um, Islamic wars, of uh, one sect of Islam fighting against another. So under 3% of them have any Christian component whatsoever. And in those instances, it was not necessarily the Christians who were doing the attacking. Uh, they were sometimes doing the uh, defending. But you've probably heard that a lot. Religion causes war. Religion causes war. Imagine no religion, John Lennon saying. And if you hear it enough, you start to think that it's true. Uh, I have a bunch of other examples, and we'll go through some of them in the course of this sermon series. We'll talk about science, you know, the idea that um, science disproves that the universe was created or something like that. Actually, on the contrary, um, one of the most famous atheistic scientists was this guy named Stephen Hawking. You may remember, a super famous guy, Nobel Prize winner and stuff like that. Uh, Stephen Hawking, a little while before his death, said, there is no heaven or afterlife. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. I guess he had evidence about the afterlife. I don't know. He says, spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. Why the universe exists, why we exist, it is not necessary to invoke God. So it's not God. Obviously, it's spontaneous creation. Think about that. Think about that for a second. God cannot possibly exist. How do I know? Because everything just popped up spontaneously. I'm sure of it. Really? The most famous cosmologist... Uh, probably in history. That's his best explanation. Even if the origin of the universe could be explained precisely in a way that did not require a creator, and it certainly can't, would that disprove the existence of God? 
No, not at all. It just means that God, you know, didn't create the universe uh, with a word, I suppose. All right, so I'll just, I just wanted to meditate on that this morning to get us primed um, for the rest of the sermon series. In terms of values and belief, uh, I'll say to close what I said at the beginning. The world does not reason things out. The world does not reason. The world pressures. And that's how you can tell that something funny is going on. The world does not reason. The world pressures you. God does not. God does not. God invites. And if you're going to be a seeker after God, then you have to take him up on the invitation. You know, you can't wait around until God pressures you to know the truth. That may indeed be too late. Instead, you have to take his invitation to go seek after truth, which is a unique life skill that almost no human being shares. Right. The appetite for truth is a rare and exquisite thing. A rare and exquisite thing. And it turns out that there's a connection. If you're willing to accept the humiliation that comes with proclaiming the name of Jesus, you actually become really good at standing against the pressure of the world and ferreting out truth yourself. And that's cool. Do you understand what I just say? If you're willing to accept the humiliation that goes with following Jesus, you become really good at resisting the pressures of the world and gain an advantage in figuring out the truth about God and actually about everything else in life too. You can think for yourself instead of being controlled by the world which is entirely controlled by the evil one I have on good authority. Demons seek to control you. The Holy Spirit restores your self-control. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And the healthy, independent human being is the rarest of all God's creatures. It's hard to develop one like that. You don't have to agree with me about it. Figure it out yourself. Figure it out yourself. Make your own choices and your own investigations. So Father God, I pray that you would free us from pressure. That you would make us humble enough to think for ourselves about God. About the proper way to live. And about anything else that we feel pressure from, you know, uh, politics or science or finances or relationships. There is a God and his ways are really smart. <laughs>